we're doing a series at the moment. Nathan kicked it off last week. Awesome message. If you didn't hear it last week, please go listen to the message from last week. We're starting a new series called Freedom Looks Like. And it doesn't make sense because Freedom Looks Like isn't the end of the sentence. Um, we've got six topics that fill the end of that sentence. And last week, the message was, uh, was focused around David, a guy that looked like he was in captivity in a number of circumstances, and yet he experienced freedom because his security was dependent on trusting God. He lived in a space of trusting God first. His security wasn't in his circumstances, whether he's being chased, whether he's facing Goliath. His security was found in trusting God. And so freedom looks like trusting God. This week, we're, we're changing gears and looking at another topic. I'm going to tell a little bit of a story. Now, the child involved in our household that this story is about would prefer not to be named. So I'm going to call them Alex for the sake of the story. But you see, Alex was having a bit of trouble sleeping at night, was, was a bit restless and would wake up during the night, they thought about this genius plan of watching YouTube clips at two o'clock in the morning on their laptop. And so Alex thought this was a good way of spending the middle of the night. And we, we weren't sure why Alex was tired when they woke up in the morning. But what Alex failed to realize is that I actually run a pretty tight network at home. The computer network at home is very well monitored. And I can see what devices are using the internet at one, two o'clock in the morning. And so I could see that Alex's computer was on and watching YouTube at two o'clock in the morning on, on a regular occasion. Now, Alex felt like they might have probably had some freedom, but they'd actually broken three house rules in the process. No technology in your room, no technology after bedtime, and if you're going to watch YouTube, you have to let a parent know what you're watching because there's some pretty rubbish stuff on YouTube. And so in the process of doing this, Alex knew that they were doing the wrong thing, even though it sounded like a good idea at the time. So I asked Alex if I could have a look at their laptop. And I jumped on their laptop and looked at the history of the browser. And I said, so who is this person, Alex? And Alex said, well, that's someone I enjoy watching on YouTube. I have asked mum in the past if I can watch that person. I said, that's fine. I said to Alex but it's not fine watching it at one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. And Alex actually at this point broke down and said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And in the tears said, please take my laptop away from me. I, I can't control myself. I'm, I'm trapped. I'm so glad you caught me. I've felt so terrible about this. And it gets to two o'clock in the morning and I can't sleep and, and I just... The laptop's there and I shouldn't have it in my room, but, but please take it off me. I can't do this. So obviously a conversation and some consequences were put into place. I can tell you based on the network usage, Alex doesn't do this anymore. But the point is we get into situations, we get ourselves stuck into places where we're doing things that we know are wrong or that we may be justified to ourselves and we think there's freedom in it. We think there's opportunities for us, things that maybe are good, and yet we carry the chains, we carry the burden of knowing that this is not always good for us. And we can laugh at Alec, but you know what I'm talking about. This is not foreign to you either. We talk about maybe just speeding just a little bit. I mean, everyone does it, don't they? And I only speed by a little bit. 
Or maybe we cut corners on our tax return. You know, we're paying so much tax anyway. What about just cutting some corners there? Oh, here's a good one. My friend gave me a, a USB key full of movies. I don't quite know where they got them from. I think they're okay to watch. And what about you know lying to cover up a mistake that you've made, or to get out of doing something that you've committed to? I mean, it's, a, it's only a white lie, isn't it? And it's trying to help a situation. Or another thing that people sometimes do is is hoping that. Justice is served. You know that person that wronged you. You get some justice for your circumstance. They maybe committed an offence, and you want to commit the offence back. They stopped talking to me, so I'm not going to talk to them anymore. These are all things that we we can relate to. These aren't foreign things we can laugh at kids about. These are things that, as adults, we actually wrestle with. We wrestle with good character. We wrestle with integrity. And we think we can get shortcuts. We think we can get ways around things to live a better life. It's like the black and white becomes grey, and we decide to to play in the grey space. Well, this morning, as、uh, as been mentioned, we're looking at Joseph, and it's a brilliant story. Unfortunately, it's thirteen chapters long, so we're not going to read all thirteen chapters. It'll be a really long morning. Even I timed it last night, and even my brief summary goes for about ten minutes. So I really want to paint a broad picture. Journey with me if you've got scripture with you. I'm just going to read a couple of passages of the story and then paint the map version around it. So Joseph, great story, starting at Genesis chapter 37 through to Genesis 50. Yeah, if you get time, read it. There's a lot in there. We're just going to pull out a couple of things in this freedom looks like space. We see this cocky 17-year-old guy called Joseph. He's a boy. His dad's Jacob, and he's clearly Jacob's favourite. There's no confusion about that. The kid struts around in in a colourful robe, in a, in a special robe that his dad got for him. These days, maybe it's the the, the Catman do puffer jacket that his brothers don't have. All ten older brothers don't have this cool jacket that he walks around in. But not only does he walk around in this cool jacket that his dad got specially for him, he dobs on his brothers. He goes out to where they're doing their farming, and he comes back and gives bad reports on, on based on his ten older brothers. So obviously they don't like this kid. He's a brat. I, I mean, none of our seventeen-year-old teenagers would be like this, obviously. But I'm sure you've all known an overconfident seventeen-year-old who thinks they're, you know, God's gift to mankind. And I think, you know, Joseph looks like he was like that, and his older brothers just hated him. But it gets worse because. God gives him a couple of dreams. In these dreams, his brothers are actually bowing down to him, and in one of them, his parents are bowing down to him. And he doesn't only have these dreams, but he decides he's going to tell his brothers this story, arrogantly tell them about how they're going to bow down to him, and to the point that his dad even tells him to pull his head in. Like this is how far he's gone, cocky and arrogant about about who he is and how awesome he is. That his dad says, "Hang on, mate, just." Back off a little bit. You're going a bit extreme here with this, this, all this bowing down to your stuff. Anyway, one day he's heading out to to meet his brothers to check on them and to dob on them. Probably they're not where he expects them to be, so he keeps going further. He finally sees them in a town a fair way away doing their farming stuff, and they realise that he's coming. And they go, "We hate him so much. Let's kill him. Let's just get rid of him. Problem solved." And so they scheme about killing him. 
When he arrives, they take his robe off him and they throw him into a pit. And so they wander off and start to scheme and plan. And they go, look, maybe killing him is a bit extreme, possibly. How about we just sell him instead? At least we make some money off him. We'll actually profit from this. Killing him, we don't get anything out of, but selling him, we'll make some money out of him. So one of them goes to get him out of the pit and realize he's actually gone. He's already been sold into some slave traders heading to Egypt. And so they decide to take the robe that they grabbed off him, dip it in goat's blood, take it back to dad and say he was eaten by animals. And that's what happens. But of course, being the favorite son, his dad is distraught. His dad weeps and cannot be consoled at the loss of his favorite son. He gets sold to this guy in Egypt, a guy called Potiphar. Now, this was no, no ordinary guy. He was the head of the guard. He, he was an important person in Pharaoh's kingdom. And Joseph, completely unjustly and undeservedly, even though he was a bit of a cocky kid, he didn't deserve to be sold or, or killed. And he ends up as a slave, as a servant of this guy called Potiphar. I'm, I'm just going to read from Genesis 39, verse 2. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. Now, it's important to point out here, Joseph isn't sitting back on a couch and God just doing everything for him. You can see in this passage that there's a partnership. Yes, God made him prosper. Yes, God made him successful, but they were working together. God's influence on Joseph meant that his hands were productive and he was fruitful. And because of his actions, because of how he behaved, how he responded, Potiphar could see that God was with him. So it's important that we see the partnership between God and Joseph. There's a partnership here. It's not just God doing a whole heap of amazing things and Joseph sitting back. He's actually participating in what God's got for him in his life. It's really important to notice that. Anyway, Potiphar's wife thought Joseph was pretty cute. Young guy, fit guy, pretty good looking apparently according to scripture. She decided she was going to seduce him. But this is where we start seeing something significant about Joseph because we start seeing his integrity shine through. And he says to the wife, your husband has given me everything to be in charge of. He's given me a lot of responsibility and I take that seriously, but he hasn't given me his wife. You're his. You're in a union with him and I'm not going to dishonor that. Now, the wife doesn't like this. She wants what she wants. And he ends up being imprisoned because of accusations she makes that are completely untrue. But again in the prison, let's read from Genesis 39, 23. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made successful. Can you see this partnership again? Whatever he did was Joseph's component and the Lord made successful. They worked together so well. There was such a, such a unity between God and Joseph. Now, we don't know how long he was in, in prison for before he had an experience with two interesting fellows. One was a baker, and the other was a cupbearer, both servants of Pharaoh. 
Each of them had a dream and Joseph interpreted the dreams for them. And this is what he says in Genesis 40, 14. Only remember me in, in, in response, you know, getting paid or something for, for what he was able to offer. He says, only remember it, me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this prison. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. So he's acknowledged he was stolen out of his land and brought here. And now he's in prison twice, completely unjustly. And he's saying, look, I don't want anything from you apart from that you would, you would remember me before Pharaoh. Now, unfortunately for the baker, he was killed three days later by Pharaoh. But also three days later, the cupbearer was released and put back into service with Pharaoh, as the dreams were interpreted to say. But this cupbearer completely forgot about Joseph. And he stayed in prison for another two years before Pharaoh had a dream. And in Pharaoh's dream, the cupbearer goes, I know someone that can interpret this. He's a guy I met two years ago in, in prison, and, and he interpreted my dream, and it came true. So Pharaoh brings him in and gets him to interpret the dream. But again, let's just look at Joseph's character here. Uh, Genesis 41:15 says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And this is Joseph's response. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Really interesting response. We'll come back to that. Now, he ends up, because of the dream and because of interpreting it and, and giving some advice, he ends up in charge of the whole of Egypt. And he implements a strategy for Pharaoh where there's a seven years of fruitfulness and then seven years of famine. And he, and he puts this strategy together and, and implements it. Amazing strategist, it appears. With God's strength, he has so much power and influence and he's going to save them from these seven years of famine because of storing some stuff away. In that process, his brothers and father end up in the famine too. We're now 10 years down the track. And they hear that there's supplies in Egypt. And so they head to Egypt to get some supplies, to buy some supplies, because it's a famine. They're out of food. They've got nothing. They're going to die. And they don't realize that it's actually Joseph that's running the show in Egypt. They don't recognize him. They assume he's gone. And so they don't recognize him. And, and Joseph plays a bunch of pranks to summarize. It's a whole fairly long sequence of things where they're requesting food from Joseph and Joseph is giving it to them, but he's doing some, like he, he hides a bag of money and he puts one of his cups into, the, into their things as they leave to make it look like they've stolen something. And what ends up happening is they bring the youngest son, his brother, Ben, Benjamin. They bring Ben back with them by request. And, and dad's not happy because Benjamin is the last son, the only brother of Joseph. He doesn't want to lose him. Yeah, I'm summarizing this a lot, but there's a lot that happens and it's, it's really quite interesting. But it comes to Genesis 45. They're all having dinner together. They still don't know who Joseph is, but he, he appears to have shown them kindness, even though there's some hidden money and bits and pieces that have gone wrong. And this is what happens. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, his servants and, and everyone that was with him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. 
So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So he's just revealed to them who he is. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Wow. Amazing. I am your brother, Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. And he goes on to talk about how have they intended to do him harm. And yet God has sent him ahead to prepare a way, to prepare a way to save his family. All this stuff, all this injustice that was done against him, all these circumstances of hardship in his life, things that looked like his freedom was stolen from him. And yet his conclusions to his brothers, when he reveals who he is, is that I am here that we might be free. I'm here that we might experience freedom. Freedom's not found in revenge. Freedom's not found in shortcuts or lying. It's not even found in justice being served to us. Joseph deserved justice for the injustice that was given to him by our measure. And yet even receiving injustice is not where freedom's found. Just ask Jesus what that experience is like about deserving justice and not getting it. Freedom looks like integrity. Freedom looks like a pure heart. It looks like a good character. Do you know Joseph's brothers lived for over 20 years with the shame, the guilt, the the regret of what they did to Joseph, not knowing what ended up with him? just having this hanging over their heads, this attitude of going, I want to just pull him off his pedestal. He just is so annoying. We've got to do something about this. And the consequence of that that heart attitude, that brokenness, was that for 20 years, they lived as slaves to this. They did not experience freedom. And even when they were reunited with their brother, they weren't rejoicing. They were petrified. They weren't celebrating because they still carried the brokenness of their shortcuts to freedom that failed dismally. While on the flip side, Joseph experienced hardship and injustice, but he knew what real freedom was because he lived from the inside out. He lived with integrity. Character was important to him. Even as a slave, He knew freedom from the inside out. Even as a prisoner, he knew true freedom from the inside out. And as I said before, the the passage to Pharaoh was amazing because he had an opportunity to show Pharaoh how good he could look. Standing before a person that can kill you instantly and says to you, I hear you can interpret dreams. He says, no, I can't, but I know God can. He could have taken the credit for himself and looked like a champion. And he said, I can't do it, but I know one who can. The honesty and the integrity in that is phenomenal. 
You know, some people think that the Bible is a book of rules, a book of rules to control and restrict what people can do. But I would argue that's completely wrong because it is the ultimate guide to freedom. It is a key to abundant life. It's not an easy life if there's no shortcut or scams. There's no get-out-of-jail-free cards, excuse the pun. But you see, it's about freedom the way God designed it. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Freedom begins with the heart. And if we want to experience true freedom, then we have to have a character, have a heart that reflects God's best way. This is where freedom comes from. We can start by trying to impress people and then hope our hearts change. It's not God's way. God says, I want to work on the heart and what comes out will radiate. There's a passage that says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. We can impress people with our words, but at the end of the day, it's what's in our heart that counts. I want to be like Joseph. And I wonder whether you want to be like Joseph too, because Does your boss, does your family, do your workmates, do your schoolmates, are they able to say that they see that the Lord is with you and that the Lord causes all that you do to succeed in your hands because the Lord is with you? Is that their perspective of us? You see, to to live from the inside out, to live a, a life of godly character means that we need to be people of God's word. We need to be anchored in God's word. We need to hunger and thirst for God's word because it is the key to freedom. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I know the young adults have been looking at Proverbs in the morning. They've been reading through Proverbs and Proverbs is packed full of of a concept. It's repeated over and over again. Proverbs 10.9 says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. And there's many verses like that. But I want to read from Job 27. This is Job talking to one of his friends. He says, "My, My lips will not speak falsehood, and my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. You see, it's not about being perfect. Joseph wasn't perfect. It's about valuing and pursuing integrity, upright character, purity of heart, because God values these things. We're actually partnering with God. So we are being transformed from the inside out. We partner with God so that we're transformed from the inside out. I'm just going to finish with two things. The first one is a passage. As I said, scripture is the anchor of this. Get into the word. If you struggle with character, read the word. It's not a rule book. It's not an oppressive message for us. It's a releasing message. But it's a message that gives us keys to what freedom looks like. Philippians 4, 8 to 9 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, 
Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Freedom is found in our character, in our integrity. Now this morning, God told me how to finish my message and I told him he had a bad idea because he wants me to sing a prayer. And I said to him, that is terrible because if I sing well, then people go, wow, that's interesting, Matt can sing. And if I sing badly, people will go, I had no idea what Matt was saying, but I, I heard how badly he sang. I said, this is a lose-lose situation. And then, because you see, I've got to solve things in my mind and, and God's aware of that. He's not ignorant to um, my issues of, of control. So he gave me the reason why. He said, Matt, you can't preach on the heart matter and then pray an intellectual prayer at the end because people need to hear the heart, not the thought. And so I don't apologize for singing. I don't apologize for not having any backing because I asked God about that. He said, no, I want your heart, Matt. I don't want your professional music. And so what I want you to hear now is to hear the heart that we have after God's purity after the character that God has for us. We can't do it alone. Joseph partnered with God in this and he calls us to partner. And what I want you to do, if you want to have a heart of purity, I want you to stand up. Ignore the fact that the, the camera is going to point at your belly. That's okay. You're going to sit down eventually anyway. But I want you to stand up in agreement to pray. I'm going to pray and I'm going to just yeah, hear the heart of what God wants us to hear this morning. Purify our hearts, let us be as gold and precious silver. Purify our hearts, let us be as gold, pure gold, refine as fire. Our heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. We want to be holy, Set apart for you, our master, ready to do your will. Amen. That's my heart. I hope it's your heart. We want to be people that have hearts of integrity, surrendered to God from the inside out.